Anybody need a Bible? Want to get one put in your hands? So you can follow along. Everybody's good? All right, then let's do this. Everybody show me your Bible or what you're following along in. Praise the Lord. Would you look at that, man? People who come equipped and ready to rock, ready to roll. What do you... Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to see Jesus' revolution today? You'll... Right? Uh, God loves you guys so much. Listen, I know that we come here and we have our Sunday best and we put our happy face on, but I know there's hurt. I know that people are struggling. And I just want you to know that there is healing and there is hope and there is help for you in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's take our Bibles and turn in them to the book of 1 John. We're going to look in the fourth chapter today at a handful of verses, verses 7 through 11, in a uh, Bible study that I have entitled, Why God Sent His Son. And so with that, let's take our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just want to say thank you for who you are. We want to say thank you, Lord, for being proactive in your pursuit of us. And God, we just want to pray that you would have your way in us, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would refresh and renew hearts, God. We're we're crying out for revival. We're crying out for an awakening, Lord, in this city, in this community, spilling out to wherever you would have it be, oh God. But we just want you to be glorified and magnified in our lives. And so we give you this time, Lord. Give us ears to hear you, and we'll give you praise. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody say, Amen. amen. Guys. When it comes to 1 John, has anyone noticed the overwhelming emphasis of love in this letter? I mean, I tell you, I'm just going to be honest. I was tempted to make short work of this passage that's in front of us today. Just read over it, make a couple of comments concerning it, and then just kind of move on. Because this passage that we're in, it circles back to love. And we've looked at, we've thought through this principle in previous passages in just this letter. But as I was thinking, you know what, I'm going to read through this, make a couple of comments on this. I'm going to push on into the next section of Scripture. i got to check in my spirit. And it was just, the way it came across my mind was something to the effect of, if it was important enough to John to circle back to it, and by way of extension, important enough to the Holy Spirit to remind him of it and, and make sure that we're aware of it, then why isn't it important to you, Jeff, uh, to take your time and teach through it? And so, we're going to take our time with this text And we're going to allow ourselves in humility to learn more fully, more comprehensively of the love of God. Amen. And so let's take and turn our attention. And we'll read through the whole passage here, and then we'll come back and kind of pick it apart. So beginning in verse 7, as we give attention to the word of God, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let me ask you a question. Are you picking up what John's putting down in this passage? I'm just telling you, man, here we have in this 
brief handful of verses, the words beloved and love and loved and loves, and they're used some 13 times in just five verses. And I would state again, just for the record, that the kind of love that's in view here is not storge, it's not uh, eros, it's not phileo. This is the non-self-seeking, others-oriented, sacrificial, service-oriented love of God. It is agape. And in the Greek, it's pretty plain. We might use a a loose translation back here in verse 7, and it might be something to the effect of, you who are loved are to love. We might go as far as to say, you who are loved by God, demonstrate, display the love of God. And I want you to notice the order. John alludes to it here. We read through the passage and see that he makes it plain in verse 10. But the reason you're to love is because you are already loved by God. The initiative does not belong to you. The response and responsibility does. God loves you. So love one another. There is in scripture a principle that I refer to as divine initiative and human responsibility. You will never find a situation, you will never find a circumstance in which man initiates a relationship with God and God responds by saying, you know, I'm so grateful that you decided to pursue me and that you want to know me. Guys, it is always and only the other way around. God initiates, we respond. Jesus said that like this. He said, you did not choose me, I chose you. The Bible is clear in no uncertain terms. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all, guys, notice the categoric terms in this, in this section of scripture. None, not one, none, none. All have turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. None? No, he says, not one. What does that mean? It means that if you know Jesus Christ, it's because it's it's not because you sought after him. It's because he sought after you. He reached out to you and you responded to his initiative. And if you're currently seeking There you are, you're trying to learn, you're trying to find truth, and you feel like it's maybe leading you his way, like maybe this is truth. I'm telling you, it's not because you just woke up one day and decided to search for God. It's because he began to woo you. He is drawing you. And you are responding to the tug of his Holy Spirit upon your heart to seek after and search for truth. And he knows where it'll lead you. It'll lead you to Jesus Christ who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. And you will come to the Father through him. Because he is the door by which we enter eternal life. You are loved by God. And the Holy Spirit assures and reassures us of that fact all throughout this letter. 
And it's important that you be established in this fact because how many of you know, quick show of hands, time for transparency, how many of you know times can be tough? (laughs) Right, this is not a trick question. Uh, We go through trials and tribulations and seasons of struggle and if we're not careful, we can begin to question the love of God. Like our children. And they say things like, well, if you loved me, and you know, you can fill in the blank from there. Uh, generally, it applies to something they want. You know, you're, there you are in the, the, the mall, and they want to go to the candy store. And, but if you love me, and, and, and they fill in the blank. Or, or maybe it applies to something that they want you to be done with, some discipline that you're invoking or impressing upon their lives and they don't want it. And if you love me, you wouldn't. Or if you love me, you would. And all of these kinds of guys, we're the same way with God. Let me ask you something. When your child says, if you love me, and then they give you some sort of ultimatum, is what they have to say generally a true reflection of your heart or the truth of the matter oh now it may be their perspective but it's not reflective of the truth and so too with you and with me and our relationship with our father who is in heaven guys we don't always understand what god is up to and from our perspective we may not even agree with what god is up to But God never asked us to understand the why behind every what. Do you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't ask us to understand him. He asks us to trust him. And his ways are higher than our ways. How then are we going to understand every situation, every circumstance, every struggle that enters the equation of our lives? If his ways are above our ways and higher than the heavens are from the earth, so are his ways beyond ours and past our finding out, then how are we going to comprehend and understand every nuance that enters into the equation of our lives? When you're dealing with a child, there are certain things, no matter how hard you try, uh, you cannot explain it to them in a way that they understand. And guys, I see, it's kind of funny, kind of amusing, But I see young parents try this sometimes. You know, there they are with their two-year-old or their little toddler, and they're trying to explain to little Johnny why what they're doing is appropriate or what they shouldn't do or what, you know, and all these kinds of things. They're trying to rationalize with them on an adult-type level, and they're just going, you know, it's just obvious they're not tracking. You know, they don't get it. And there are times that a child just cannot understand. And in such cases, they must learn to trust. And so too with us and our Heavenly Father. Listen to me. Never trade what you don't understand for what you do understand. What do you mean? Listen, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand why it's happening. Uh, But this much I do understand. God loves me Therefore, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Beloved, let us love. Let us, the idea is, continually be loving 
one another. By the, word, by the way, the words um, one another bring reciprocity into view. It's a mutual exchange. Now, we don't love to be loved, but if we're both fulfilling this command, then love will be mutual between us. Are you tracking with me? For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So if love is of God and God is in you, then his love will flow through you to one another. Uh, Paul told the Romans that the love of God has been poured out, lavished out, poured abundantly out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Uh, to Timothy, he put it like this. He said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Come on, somebody, amen? In the day and age to which you have been called, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of what? Come on, of what? Of love and of a sound mind. You might write it down and read it later. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Listen to me, the love of God is an inescapable attribute of the child of God. I want to say that again. The love of God is an inescapable attribute of the child of God. Now, doesn't mean that his love will be perfected in the sense in which we live life without flaw, you know, uh, John will talk about the perfecting of the love of God in the section that we are gonna see next time. But though his love won't be perfected in the sense of you'll live life without a flaw, it surely will be present and should be practiced in the life of the believer in a growing and maturing manner. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Again, everyone who agapes, this is the word that's in view, is born of God, born again by the Holy Spirit of God, and knows, the word knows means to experience. They have truly, genuinely experienced God. John is saying, listen, when you've truly experienced God, it will show by his work in and through your life. Satan divides and destroys. Jesus unites people in his love. If you don't love the people of God, then your claim to be born of God or to know God is simply false. For love is of God. What does that mean? It means that love, this agape, this others-oriented, self-sacrificing, service-type love springs forth from God. He is the wellspring. He is the source in which true love, that is this agape, originates and flows out from. Are you with me on that? What does this mean for you then in your relationships with one another? There you are and 
and you're struggling in your marriage relationship or maintaining love for one another in a different, you know, maybe a, a parent to child or, you, you know, you've got a good friend and you've been besties your whole lives and now things are whatever they go. How does this apply? Well, listen, if you want to maintain love for one another, then it's imperative that you draw nearer to God for love is of God. You understand what I'm saying? Listen, if you want to love one another more, you need to make it your aim to draw nearer to God. If you make it your aim to focus on your relationship with God, husband, wife, as a necessary byproduct, it will strengthen your love relationship with one another. It's an old uh, example or illustration of the pyramid where you put one person in this corner and one person in this corner and uh, God at the top. And as they both draw near to God, they draw closer to one another. And that's how it works. You gotta focus on your relationship with God and the necessary byproduct will be a fruitful relationship with one another, a love relationship with one another. Look at verse eight, he says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now listen, I want you to notice, John says that God is love, but he doesn't say that love is God. This is important. Love is intrinsic to the very nature of God, but God is more, so much more, than love only. We might say that love does not define God, but that God defines love. Back in chapter one, we're told that God is light. Jesus told us that God is spirit. In chapter three, we're told that he is righteous. The book of Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire. And so, God is love. He's not only love. He is life. He is righteousness, he is holiness, he is light, he is just and the justifier of us all. What John is simply communicating here is that the love of God will be seen and shown in and through the child of God. And at the risk of redundancy, he's not speaking of something sentimental, we're talking about love, it's not sentimental, it's not uh, social, he's speaking about something supernatural. He's speaking about love for the body of Christ. Love one another. Now, in verse 9 he says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In his gospel we read it like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How was the love of God for mankind made manifest to mankind? How is it that God demonstrated his love for you and for me? How did he make it plain for all people everywhere to see? You know, a few weeks ago, I spoke to you of how God reveals himself through nature. 
and we learn of God's existence. There's, there's quite a lot we can learn about God through nature. We learn of God's existence through nature. We learn of his power, of his wisdom, of his creativity, that surely he is great and he is greatly to be praised. Paul tells us in Romans chapter one, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things which are made, even notice his eternal power and Godhead. In other words, creation, the visible, testifies to the creator, the invisible. The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The whole earth is filled with his glory. However, when we look at nature, you need to understand something, and that is this. Nature wants to kill you. Okay? You see the gazelle. There it is, out on the plains, roaming, so interesting, so beautiful, so swift. And then you see the lioness stalking the gazelle, and it preys on the gazelle, and it overtakes, overpowers the gazelle, delivers to its pride peanut butter and gazelle <laughs> sandwiches. I put some thought into that one. I had to share it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, what's the point? Nature is brutal, right? Winter will kill you if you are not equipped. The desert will kill you if you are ill-equipped. Mountains, the forest, take a walk through the, the rainforest, the jungles. See what happens if you are not equipped, if you don't have appropriate supplies. Nature does not testify to us of God's love. There you are in Colorado, you're checking out Pikes Peak and you're going, it's so beautiful, but I did, I, what would you do? You think about the pioneers, right? And, you, and you're in this mountain, it's kind of, and you come up over the crest of the mountain, you look out and all you see is mountains. And you're like, my goodness, I guess we're setting up camp right here. This is gonna, you know, it's just gonna kill us. Nature does not testify to us of God's love. Nor does the Bible teach that it does. All throughout your New Testament, the love of God is directly connected to the cross of Jesus Christ. In this, the love of God was manifested. That is, made evident toward us. Not in the mountains, beautiful though they may be to behold. Not in the forest. Not in the oceans. Not in the painted deserts. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world. That we might live through him. And family, this is what we need. Life. People are searching. They're looking for answers. 
Listen, apart from Christ, we're dead spiritually in trespasses, in sins. Sin results in death. Jesus came to give us life. And the paradox, it's a paradox, and it's kind of difficult to grasp that Jesus had to die that we might live. And again, if you'll just allow me to hammer home this point, I want to circle back to our God, if you love me, then why Fill in the blank. God never said, you'll know that I love you by how plush and primrose and problem-free I make your life. His love was not manifested toward us in that we won the lottery in that we never struggled financially, that we never fall sick physically or were never befallen by tragedy. And again, guys, I'm not trying to say that we always understand the why, though we know that God can use these things somehow and in some way to benefit us eternally that does not always make us feel better presently. But God makes known and proves to you his love for you in that Christ died for you personally. It was a tremendous sacrifice, something we can't even truly comprehend for the Father and the Son. No greater love has anyone than this than that they would lay down their life for their friends, yet God demonstrates his own love, his own unique unto him love in that while we were still sinners, while we were against him, while we had our back turned to him, Christ died for us. And by the way, can we talk for just a second here about this term in verse nine, his only begotten son? This is a term that's unique unto Jesus alone. It speaks of the fact that the Father and the Son are of the same substance. They're the same essential being. When you use the term beget or begotten, it speaks of something exactly the same. Do you understand that? Uh, you can create, yes, you can create a statue that looks like you, but it doesn't share the same substance as you. It'll never be human. If you beget someone, it means that they're a human being exactly the same as you are a human being. An animal begets an animal. An insect begets an insect. Birds beget birds. What do you think God begets? God. You and me, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God but we do not share the same essential nature as God. Jesus is begotten of God. You are a human being. Jesus is a God being who is robed in humanity. And why did God send him into the world? That we might live through him. Family, there is a, hear me. There is a big difference between existing and living. Everyone has existence. Not everyone has life. 
in him, that is in Christ, there is life and the life is the light of men. Now look at verse 10. And in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now here it is in plain view. We talked about it. Now we see it. Divine initiative. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And how do we know that he loved us? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, you didn't love God. I didn't love God. In this is love. You have your devotions, you serve in missions, you attend church regularly, you give so generously. Guys, those things are not the initiative of love. They are a response to love. It's not that you loved God. It's that God loved you and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Divine initiative. Now, in mythology, the gods are typically angry with humanity. And they're always using humanity. They're always abusing humanity. And people are always bringing their gifts to the gods to try and appease the gods and win their favor and all. Christianity is completely the opposite. Mankind has sinned against God. Mankind walked away and strayed from God. But God loved us. He reached out to us. He made a way of reconciliation for us that we might live through him. We see two purposes for the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross in our present passage. Number one, that we might live through him. Number two, he would serve as the propitiation for our sins. The death of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, was not an accident. It was an appointment. We've seen this word propitiation before in chapter 2. We won't rehearse it except to say it simply means a sacrifice sufficient to satisfy the righteous wrath of God against sin. It points to the fact that he took the punishment, the death that we deserved. He died for us that we might live through him. Listen. God didn't send an angel or some lower level being of sorts into this world. He gave his very best. His only begotten son. Family, I, I need you. And I, guys, I wish, I wish I knew how to say this because if I could say it right, we would all get on our faces and worship God. This is the love of God. And love gives its very best. Not the least that it can get away with. Gives its very best. And God so loved you, he gave his only begotten son for you. And think about that, you guys. God could have sent Jesus to to simply teach us of himself. And that would have been far more than we ever would deserve. He could have sent him to live out his life as an example to show us what godly living truly looks like. But God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son not just to teach you or to be an example to you, but 
to die for you that you might have life, eternal life in him. Guys, our love for God doesn't really say anything special about us. It's the only reasonable response to receiving his love. But God's love for us speaks volumes about him. It speaks of his grace and his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, his patience, his infinite wisdom in reconciling the sin dilemma in perfect righteousness and holiness. It speaks of his perfect justice, his desire to have a relationship with us. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. In verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I want you to see this. The proper way to love God, don't miss this. The proper way to love God in response to his love for us is to go out and love one another. God would say to you and to me that we are to pay it forward. It was both an illustration and an application that John had received from Jesus. Perhaps you can recall it in your mind's eye. There was your Lord and mine at the Last Supper on that fateful night. And he was washing the feet of his disciples. It would be the natural order. Yes? It would be the natural order. One would think. For Jesus to say, after he was finished, now, who is going to do for me what I have done for all of you? But that's not what happens. What happens isn't a display of the natural, but of the supernatural. Jesus looks at them. He says to them, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash, look at it, one another's feet. I want you to notice the word ought. It's, it's in our closing verse too, which by the way, Karen, that's your cue. We're gonna close if you wanna come on up. This word ought, it carries the word or the idea of being obliged, of owing a debt. Do you understand? You ought, you owe. Here's the, here's the idea, you guys. You and me, we owe a debt. Can we ever repay? No. It's as if God says, I have forgiven you completely. Now here's what you are to do for me. Love one another. 
And what you do unto the least of these, my brethren, Jesus said, you do to me. My love for God can be seen in my love for the body of Christ. And if God's love never flows out of me, well then it's fair to question whether or not the love of God has ever truly flowed in to me. Imagine a, a clogged pipe. Water's going in. It's not flowing through. It's not finding its way out. What good's the pipe? You and me, we are conduits. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are conduits of the love of God. He pours His love into us, not so that it can settle and stagnate within us, but so that it might flow out of us, flow through us to others around us. Guys, the key word, a key word in verse 11 is this, is this it's, a, it's a little one. You can miss it if you're not careful. It's the word so. If God has so loved us, if God has in this manner loved us, think about the manner of the love of God towards your life. Think of how God has loved you. He has given everything for you. The grace that he has shown you. The forgiveness that he has extended to you. The mercy that he has shown you time and time and time again for the same offense. He's been truthful with you. He's been there for you. He's had compassion on you. And you didn't deserve any of it. You didn't merit it. You didn't somehow earn it. He just freely gave it. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love in this manner, love one another. God, we thank you for your love. Your undeserved, unmatched, unsearchable love. And we thank you for sending Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for our sins. that we might have life, that we might live through him.
Guys, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're kind of in this prayer posture before the Lord, I just want to say if you've yet to turn from your sin, if you've yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you exist, but you're not truly alive. We receive life in Christ. Turn from your sins. Trust in Him and be saved. There you are. You're that, you're that individual that I was speaking to as I just began there you're hurting you're struggling you're in this season of of pain and you're searching for answers right and the hope and the help and the healing is found in Jesus Christ what can wash away my sin Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it. Nor is there any other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. God resists the proud, sets himself against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it is by grace that we're saved, through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. God wants to gift you everlasting life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if that's you, I want to pray for you. If you're willing to, you, you know, you've not, maybe you've gone to church, maybe you've done the religious thing, may, or maybe it's your first time here, or you're searching, you're seeking, you're whatever. But God's knocking on the door of your heart today, and you're saying, you know what? Today's the day of salvation for me. I'm not going to leave here the way I came in here. Well, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. When I see your hand, I'll acknowledge it. You can put it back down. But this is your moment. If you need Christ to come into your life, to wash you of your sin, to make you new, then show me who you are. Just raise your hand. Who am I talking to? I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. But you know. You know this moment's for you. Father, I just want to lift up every heart that's here. Every hurt that's here. Father, we are a, 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 a prone to wander, a wayward kind of people. And we thank you, O oh God, that, uh, that you're willing to leave the 99 and come after the one. Sometimes that seems strange to us that you'd leave the, the many to reach the one until we're the one. And then we're so grateful, God. So, Father, we just uh, recommit and 
renew our hearts to you today. And we pray, Lord, that you would begin a new and fresh work right here in this place, that you would pour out your spirit, a spirit of renewal, a spirit of revival, times of refreshing, Lord, from your presence. And may you find in us repentant hearts, eager to turn from our sin and to come running into your arms. We love you, God, because you first loved us. And so we humble our hearts before you and we give our praise to you. We worship your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.